Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, January 7th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The president finally admitting he will acknowledge the transition of power after one of the most shocking, chaotic days in American history. A violent, deadly insurrection in the halls of Congress. Hundreds of pro-Trump rioters storming and vandalizing the United States Capitol building. In the aftermath of that attack, Congress officially certifying the election of Joe Biden as the next president, while four people reported dead on the grounds of the Capitol, including a pro-Trump supporter shot to death inside the building. D.C. authorities also revealing the discovery of several pipe bombs and other weapons across the city. And amid the chaos and violence of the day, a major victory for Democrats and for the incoming Biden administration, the people of Georgia electing Democratic Reverends Raphael Warnock and Democrat John Ossoff to serve in the United States Senate, tipping the balance of power in that chamber. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. Wednesday, January 6, 2021, will go down as one of the darkest days in U.S. history. A violent and deadly riot at the Capitol interrupting the process of certifying Joe Biden's victory in the presidential election. That mob ultimately unsuccessful. Lawmakers reconvening, debating into the early hours. Just before four o'clock this morning, it finally happened. The chair declares the joint session dissolved. Vice President Mike Pence closing out the ceremony. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were officially certified as winners of the 2020 general election. Joseph R. Biden Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. Both the House and Senate voted to accept Arizona's results. Six GOP senators and 121 GOP House members backed the rejected complaint. Lawmakers also easily dismissed a challenge to Pennsylvania's votes. President Trump releasing a statement earlier today, agreeing to an orderly transfer of power, reading in part, even though I totally disagree with the outcome of the election and the facts bear me out, nevertheless, there will be an orderly transition on January 20th. But this comes after one of the saddest days in American history. The certification process, which began Wednesday afternoon, was initially halted by the first breach of the U.S. Capitol since the British attacked it during the War of 1812. The violent and ugly scenes played out for hours. A mob of angry Trump supporters stormed the Capitol, mostly maskless amid a pandemic. They smashed windows, vandalized offices like this one located on the first floor of the Capitol right next to one of the main doors that was breached. And then an armed standoff at the front door of the House. Protesters have penetrated. Uh, the Capitol, tear gas has been deployed. Uh, members are now have masks that are in the Capitol. High-profile members of Congress were then evacuated. Vice President Mike Pence was taken into Secret Service protection. One rioter caught on camera taking the seat of the Speaker of the House. Meanwhile, the world watched in disbelief and horror. Earlier Wednesday, the president at a rally in D.C. actually encouraged his supporters. Right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. 
And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. I call on President Trump to go on national television now to fulfill his oath and defend the Constitution and demand an end to this siege. The president later responded in a video to the breach of the Capitol, asking rioters to go home in peace, but did not denounce the violence. It was a moment of reckoning for Republicans and a stunning break for some of the president's most loyal allies. Trump and I, we've had a hell of a journey. I hate it being this way. Oh my God, I hate it. All I can say is uh, count me out. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, or threats. Inauguration day is now two weeks away. Biden and Harris will take their oaths of office at the U.S. Capitol, but attendance will be limited. And we are learning today in the wake of yesterday's riots, encouraged in part by President Trump's words and actions, Facebook has acted to suspend Trump from posting for at least the remainder of his time in office. In a post shared this morning, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg writing, quote, we believe the risks of allowing the president to continue to use our service during this period are simply too great. Zuckerberg wrote in the post, therefore, we are extending the block we have placed on his Facebook and Instagram accounts indefinitely and for at least the next two weeks until the peaceful transition of power is complete, end quote. And in the aftermath of the attack on the U.S. Capitol, four people were left dead. Three from medical conditions and a former Air Force Service member shot to death inside the Capitol building after she tried to breach a hallway protected by Capitol Police. So far, at least 68 people have been arrested in Washington. And now the FBI and Washington Metro Police asking the public for help to find additional members of this mob. Edwin Piti is outside the Capitol with the very latest on this tense situation right there on the ground. Edwin. That's right, Andrea. Less than 24 hours ago from that event that we all witnessed yesterday, we have been able to get into the ca on Capitol Hill to show you a little bit of the destruction left after many President Trump supporters made their way in illegally into the Senate. Let's start right here where you can see the floors pretty much covered in broken glass. Also a couple pieces of wood that are covering the windows right now. And as we speak, you can see some of the members that work here on Congress cleaning some of the pieces of wood that were left after, like I said, many people kick their way into the building. As you can see closer in the window, you can see, first of all, the broken glass, the broken wood that has been covered already to avoid having more people walking into the Senate. Now, many people have been talking about why did it take the police so long to arrive here? This could have been avoided, but today the situation um, outside and inside Capitol Hill is totally different. It's what I would like to call a parade of law enforcement. 
we're not only talking about the Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police, but also about the state police from Maryland, the state police from Virginia, and not to mention the National Guard. Many states are sending more elements of the National Guard to Washington, D.C., not to enforce the law, but as a way to help Capitol Police to protect the building. I also would like to mention that after the aftermath of yesterday, we know that four people lost their life. One of them was shot inside Congress. We're talking about a 35-year-old uh, veteran from San Diego. She was identified by her husband over there. But again, this is what's going on right now. They're still cleaning the aftermath of what was left after many people made their way into the Senate. So, of course, we're going to be following up the latest to bring you all the information here in U News. And before going back to you, Andrea, I'd like to report that we are doing well so far after we were pushed and dropped to the floor yesterday, and they even stole our, our microphone. But that is something that, of course, we know that we are not the news, but it's part of the, um, the result of the words of a president that keeps repeating that we as journalists are the enemy of the people. Of course, we are not. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Andrea, back to you. Just shocking images. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. We're happy to learn that you are doing okay, and thank you so much for your hard work out there. And also, according to the AP, former Attorney General, a staunch ally of President Trump, is now weighing in on yesterday's events, saying that President Trump's conduct as a violent mob stormed the Capitol was, quote, a betrayal of his office and supporters. Barr added that, quote, orchestrating a mob to pressure Congress is inexcusable. And with yesterday's events still seared in the minds of those in Washington and just across the country, the Secret Service taking no chances, ramping up security at the White House, Naval Observatory, and also the Secret Service headquarters. The move comes after the deadly storming of that Capitol building by supporters of President Trump. One law enforcement analyst worried that since rioters were cleared from the area surrounding the Capitol, they will disperse to other areas of the city and potentially incite even more violence. And today we're learning more about the events that took place during Wednesday's fatal insurrection inside the Capitol building. Quick thinking from Senate staffers likely saved the Electoral College ballots from those who had stormed the building. Senator Jeff Merkley tweeted this photo of the boxes saying they were safely removed from the Senate floor. He said if they weren't grabbed in time, quote, they would have been burned by the mob. And around the world, millions were stunned at yesterday's chaos in Washington. In France, people say they were reminded of yellow vest protests, an anti-government social movement calling for greater citizen representation. And Germans called the storming of the U.S. Capitol a, quote, disgrace and just quite the opposite of democracy. People asked by Reuters TV this morning said they only hoped President Trump would disappear, quote, and never to return. And China today drew comparisons between Wednesday's disturbing events in Washington and last year's often violent pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, but noted that no one had died when demonstrators took over the legislature of the Chinese-ruled city. Clips of the chaotic scenes from Washington have aired repeatedly over the last 24 hours on Chinese state television. And joining me now is Lauren Baer. She's a former State Department official under President Barack Obama. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lauren. Welcome to Union. Thank you for having me. So let's get right to it. What's your reaction to yesterday's sad events in Washington, D.C.? 
yesterday was a was a sad day for our country, and I, I think what it shows is that white supremacy is uh, very real in our country. The threat from it and from right wing groups. Um, it's not simply the case that. Over the past uh, year, number of years, the president uh, and this government um, have ignored that threat. It's that this president has actively fueled uh, that threat. And you can draw a, a direct line between what we saw in Charlottesville in 2017 with uh, this president saying that there were very good people on both sides and the insurrection that he inspired at the Capitol yesterday. This is a, a deep scourge on our country, um, and it's something that it's going to take quite a bit of work to overcome in order to rebuild and strengthen our democracy. Now, you mentioned a direct line between these events. What overlap is there between the group that stormed Capitol Hill yesterday and the groups that tried to take over Michigan State Capitol, for example, and also plotted to kidnap Michigan's governor? Well, I think what we know is that all of these groups um, have been fueled by the president, have been encouraged by the president, um, have bought into his conspiracy theories that somehow this election was stolen. And what this president has done is enable those who would seek to undermine uh, our democracy because it serves his personal interest um, rather than the country and the Constitution, which he has sworn uh, to do. Uh, it was a very real threat and very real risk to the governor of Michigan when that happened there. And it was a very real risk to uh, members of Congress yesterday uh, when uh, the, the seat of the United States government was sieged. Now, many questions are swirling today about the apparent failure of law enforcement to stop the mob from breaching the Capitol. What would you say went wrong yesterday? Many things we know. <laughs> Many things went wrong yesterday. And the first thing I, I want to say is that what we saw yesterday, when I say that we saw how real white supremacy was, that was evident not only in the mob of insurrectionists, but in the government uh, and the police response. Contrast what we saw at the Capitol yesterday to the response that we saw to Black Lives Matter protesters who were protesting peacefully over the summer. Uh, that is white supremacy in, in action. That's what happens uh, when we enable, uh, instead of clamp down on those who seek to undermine our core values and our democracy um, in this country. And, and it's, a, it's a very real, real threat and risk to us. Joe Biden's inauguration is less than two weeks away. He's supposed to take the oath in person, but with limited attendance due to the pandemic. So what are the security risks given this tense environment in our country? You can't look at what happened yesterday and deny the fact that there are going to be very real risks and threats uh, around the inauguration. I, for one, take no comfort uh, in the president's statement last night that there would be an orderly transition of power. Um, I think we need to make sure that we are adequately preparing to protect not only the incoming administration, but all of the members of the public who might be participating in inauguration activities, not only in Washington, but around the country. So for now, in the meantime, like I just said, there are 13 more days before Trump leaves office, before Inauguration Day. What could happen between now and then? What are some measures lawmakers can take to protect the nation against the president's worst impulses? We already saw Facebook is going to basically block his account until after Inauguration Day. 
Well, we're already seeing a number of calls uh, from U.S. senators and members of the House, as, whether, uh, as well as other high government officials, to remove the president uh, from office um, because he poses very real threats, um, not only domestically, um, but in terms of the, the national security risks that his continued leadership um, continues to expose the United States to. Um, I, I want to make very clear here that any time we have domestic instability, it exposes us to uh, national security vulnerabilities. And there are other countries around the world who will seek to take advantage of the fact that our attentions now are focused on a president who is more interested in himself and his own self-preservation than he is the security uh, of our country. And yet he remains uh, the commander in chief. So I, I think there are very real uh, short-term threats uh, that can be allayed only by the removal of President Trump uh, from office, not to mention the very real long-term national security risks that this poses because of the fact that our ability to make change in the world, to stand up to the kind of authoritarians and dictators who would threaten us depends entirely on our moral authority and our ability to lead by example. And that has been undermined by the president continually and especially yesterday. Our nation needs to heal slowly but surely. Thank you so much, Laren Baer, former State Department official. You take care. Thank you. You too. Thank you. And the chaos and turmoil in the Capitol on Wednesday overshadowing a major victory for Democrats and the incoming Biden administration. Both Democratic Senate candidates officially winning their runoff elections in Georgia. Jonathan Mejia brings us the latest on the balance of power in the Senate. I am going to the Senate to work for all of Georgia. A late night acceptance speech by the first victor of the night. Reverend Raphael Warnock, the senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, former home of Martin Luther King Jr., made history Tuesday to become the first black senator from Georgia, beating Republican incumbent Kelly Loeffler. We were told that we couldn't win this election. But tonight, we prove that with hope, hard work, and the people by our side, anything is possible. Control of the United States Senate is at stake for these dual Senate runoff races in the burgeoning purple state, pushing millions to the polls. We believe that the total vote will probably be pushing 4.6 million. And when you think we had 5 million that just showed up in November, it's just tremendous turnout. And with a late victory by Democrat John Ossoff over GOP incumbent David Perdue, incoming Vice President Kamala Harris will serve as the breaking vote, essentially easing the path of the Biden administration. This is history unfolding in Georgia right now. For you news, this is Jonathan Mejia. Joining us now is Robert Branson. He's president and CEO of the Fair Election Center. Thank you so much for joining us today on you news, Robert. Welcome. Uh, nice to be here, Andrea. So eight senators and 139 House Republicans still voted to change the outcome in either Pennsylvania or Arizona, even after that violent attack on Capitol Hill. Talk to us about how did the proceedings unfold after that vicious attack? Well, first of all, um, as we know, this was, a, this was a really sad day yesterday when um, a violent mob tried to eliminate the results of an election where over 150 million Americans voted. And then in the Georgia election, an extraordinary turnout for a runoff election um, took place. And 
you know, the Constitution requires that the states certify the elections. States run our elections in this country. And the uh, Congress was really just going through a formal collecting of the election uh, certifications yesterday before they were violently interrupted by this mob. A mob, by the way, that was encouraged, as, as you've heard, your listeners have heard, by the false claims of this of a sitting U.S. president and uh, promoted by elected members of the Senate and the House who tried to object to the certified election results uh, in November. In the late night hours after Biden was formally affirmed as president of the United States, Trump pledged to an orderly transition while falsely maintaining that he won. How will his denial of the results impact the next few weeks, perhaps even the next few months, also among his some of his supporters who perhaps will not accept this? Well, it's really unfortunate, and the president has continued to uh, propagate this false rumor uh, that he won the election when clearly he did not. Um, you know, Americans have had to overcome many obstacles, particularly uh, the disenfranchised in the past. Uh, there's been a history of voter suppression to try to keep uh, African-Americans and other people of color from voting. Um, and yet they overcame all of that in this election. Over 150 million people cast their ballots. Uh, they elected a new president and vice president. And, um, you know, we we need to continue to the fight to expand the access to the ballot. I'm very concerned, frankly, that this effort to undo this election, these election results, will be followed by some efforts around the country to uh, increase voter suppression efforts in the name of, quote, uh, eliminating voter fraud, which, as we know, really doesn't exist in any uh, amount. Do you believe this sad episode will serve as a reckoning for the Republican Party? Well, I hope so. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that it took this long for some of them to step up and recognize what the president has been doing all along. And again, I think what, what we need to do now is understand that uh, there's an opportunity um, to move forward with an expanded access to the ballot to guarantee the right to vote um, so it can't be taken away. There's going to be presumably an effort uh, around H.R. 1 in the Congress to add um, aspects of voting that are going to make it easier. You know, we uh, we went through the pandemic and had the largest number of people voting. We had hundreds of thousands of new people volunteering to work at the polls, and we had the largest and safest and most secure election in history. Um, I just want to make sure that we continue to do that. I know our organization is going to fight to make that happen. Now let's go ahead and transition over into Georgia and the elections there. Democrats John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock are the projected winners. What did you observe during those elections in the runoff? And what can we expect for our electoral system moving forward and also for the incoming Biden administration? You know, our organization is nonpartisan. We really want to make sure everybody votes, no matter who they are. And uh, we work uh, traditionally with many young people around the country through our Campus Vote Project. And in Georgia, we had uh, the ability to reach out to over 140,000 uh, uh, Georgians from other po uh, students who worked in, in the state uh, with us to turn out the vote. And it was an extraordinary turnout um, among uh, uh, black, the black population in the state, among young people, um, 
at the highest levels ever. And it's, and it's made a big difference. And we have a new day in, in a state like Georgia. Um, and this was in spite of the fact that um, there are always problems with elections um, in states like Georgia uh, in terms of overcoming uh, traditional voter suppression efforts. Well, thank you so much for your time, for sharing so much insights. Robert Branson of the Fair Election Center. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And welcome back to You News. As the post-holiday COVID-19 surge continues and vaccines slowly roll out, health officials worried about a new threat from the new South Africa strain of the coronavirus. Lorraine Caceres brings us the latest on the pandemic. The United States' battle against COVID-19 is far from over. The number of deaths increasing again on Wednesday in comparison to the day before. 253,145 new cases reported. It's not a home run yet because we don't really have the kinds of drugs where you give it that can stop the virus in its tracks. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's ensemble forecast now projecting as many as 438,000 people in the U.S. could die from COVID-19 by the end of January. That's 14,000 more deaths than forecasted on December 30th. With infections surging and Inauguration Day approaching, a group of doctors urging the Biden administration to manufacture and mail high filtration masks to homes across America, saying just like vaccines, a national mask mandate is crucial in the fight against COVID-19. Ideally, a set of masks would be mailed to each household every month. The cost of doing so pale in comparison to the pandemic's toll on lives and the economy. CDC officials saying a variant of the virus first found in the UK has infected at least 52 people in the US. What it does, according to the Brits, is that it makes it easier for the virus to spread from person to person. So it is a virus that is in, in many respects more transmissible. Dr. Anthony Fauci also expressing concern about another version of the virus first identified in South Africa, which may lessen the effectiveness of COVID-19 antibody treatments. It is a little bit more complicated because some of those mutations might have a negative impact on the efficacy of some of the monoclonal antibodies that are used. Meanwhile, on the vaccine front, rollout increasing but still falling short. Only 30% of available doses have been administered. 5.3 million of the 17.3 million doses distributed. In some states like Illinois and Florida, authorities now implementing drive-through vaccinations in hopes of speeding up the process. Hospitalizations continue to rise, now standing at more than 132,000 patients nationwide, according to the COVID tracking project. Lorraine Gasset is reporting. Now back to you. 
Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.